Let's see what's under the hood of today's guest. It's a delicate balance here because you want to make sure that you have the right support when the developer needs it. And, but if the developers also want to do stuff themselves at their own pace and they don't want to be bothered, right? So, you know, making sure that you, you support them uh, and meet them where they're at. Welcome to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing, relations, evangelism, and advocacy. I'm Stathis Jorakopoulos, and I'm your host. In each episode, I welcome a guest from the developer marketing world. We talk about best practices, challenges, lessons learned, and share insights, data, and experiences to help you boost your DevRel game, talk to, and engage with developers. This podcast is brought to you by Slash Data, the leading analyst of the developer economy, and DevRelX.com, a hub devoted to providing resources for developer marketing professionals, including developer ecosystem trends, news and job openings, webinars, a book, and a bi-weekly digest you can subscribe to. Access them all at DevRelX.com. Hello, everyone, and a happy new year. Welcome to the seventh episode of Under the Hood of Developer Marketing Season 3 and our first episode for 2021, a year we all hope will be much better than the last one. Hope you're ready for our new episodes and allow me to introduce today's guest, Leandro Margulis, who is the VP of Developer Relations in Unify ID. Leandro, welcome to the show. Hi, here from Under the Hood. Very nice uh, to, uh, to be with everybody. We're very happy to have you. Leandro, when you were a child, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, well, it depends on the stage, right? I mean, I so I'm originally, in case you were wondering where my name and accent is from, I'm originally from Buenos Aires, Argentina, born and raised there. Um, and then I moved to the U.S. in my 20s, in the early 2000s. And, you know, I basically, I always wanted to build stuff, right? I mean, that's why I decided to go for, for engineering. And I always wanted to make uh, people's lives better. And that's why I ended up deciding to do industrial and systems engineering. The joke was always engineers make things, industrial and systems engineers make things better just because we do stuff, uh, we improve on stuff, right? I mean, business process improvement uh, and so on and so forth. I also wanted to travel the world, uh, which I got a chance to do uh, while working in management consulting all over the world. And then, you know, for different conferences and, and everything. And I did get a chance to go to Greece as well. And I can't wait for COVID to be over to go to the Greek islands at some point. And from my part, I cannot wait for COVID to be over to, to visit the US. <laughs> so <laughs> we, we, can do, we can do a home swap for a little bit and see what happens. Yeah, yeah, out surfing uh, that used to be, you know, maybe something <laughs> like that. Uh, so how, from a young boy, you know, who wanted to build stuff, tell us about yourself. How did you end up in the role of Developer Relations VP? Yeah, so uh, uh, basically, I uh, let me tell you a little bit about my story and, and, and my thinking process, how I got here. So as I said, right, I mean, I am uh, I am an engineer from undergrad, uh, but then and I got a chance in the, in the early 2000s when I moved to the U.S., to the capital city of South America, Miami, Florida, to finish my engineering degree. I realized that I was missing some business stuff. And as a good engineer, I, I, I figured, well, what's the most efficient way to get the most work experience in the least amount of time to eventually do an MBA because I thought that that would help me. Uh, so I ended up in management consulting. I worked for Deloitte for uh, for a couple of years traveling the world and helping other companies uh, make their business process better. I did my MBA at Yale. During, uh, during my MBA at Yale, I got a chance to start my own company in IoT before it was called IoT. Uh, in RFID, I don't know if you know what that is, radio frequency identification. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so I, I have a patent from, for tracking very pretty much high value assets outdoors and in harsh environments. 
Uh, I got the entrepreneurial bug after that, uh, moved to the to the Bay Area, and I've been in the in, in the San Francisco Bay Area ever since, working in different startups in different stages of growth and helping also big companies start new lines of business. Basically, I, I always been more on the business strategy partnerships product side. And, uh, you know, it, it is for the last five years that I kind of stumbled upon developer uh, relations. The reality is, and we'll, we'll get deeper into this as we, uh, as we go deeper into the discussion, but the role of the developer has been changing and the developer has a lot more influence and decision-making power of, on the choose, choosing different technology tools that a company has. So whatever you do in terms of technology, you need to make sure that the developers keep you top of mind. And uh, that's pretty much how I ended up in, uh, in, in developer relations. And the, the, the reality is that I don't see it only as a, you know, depending, you know, developer relations in some places, it, it reports on their product or on their marketing or on their engineering. In the cases that I've been working in, developer relations has been its own line of business with the developer portal being the product and the different APIs or SDKs being the offerings. So really catering to the audience and having a chance to, to create a lot of resources for developers to build cool stuff. So, you know, I'm a builder as an engineer myself, and I love enabling others to build as well. I think this is the key, right? Not only, you know, wanting to build stuff yourself, but actually enabling people to, to build their own. And I think this is the core of developer relations, at least the way I see it. Yeah, and it's also super rewarding because uh, you may have certain ideas, certain hypotheses of, of what people are going to use your stuff for. But once you put it out there, like uh, the community surprises you uh, in, in the ways that they use your stuff. So uh, that has been re very rewarding as well. And it also gives you a lot of product feedback to improve your product and also, you know, uh, you know get into new lines of businesses as well. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I think it, it's great. Uh, I definitely want to hear more uh, things you have to say, but before we jump into this, uh, let's talk data. Can you please pick a graph from devrelex.com slash trends and tell us why that graph stands out from you? So I, I, I can actually choose a couple different ones and highlight uh, certain things, but you know, one, course, that was, yeah, yeah. Uh, one that was popping out to me, uh, th there's one that you have uh, about uh, ranking of reasons for adoption of a technology, right? And of course, pricing is a big factor, but also the support and documentation ends up being either the second factor or, or being tied up with pricing, right? And uh, the reality is that you, you uh, and it's a delicate, it's a delicate balance here because you want to make sure that you have the right support when the developer needs it. And but it, the developers also want to do stuff themselves at their own pace, and they don't want to be bothered, right? So you know, making sure that you you support them uh, and meet them where they're at in terms of having all the documentation available uh, online, uh, and then being there uh, and, and being very responsive. Either you know, if you have a Slack community or a forum or you know, just a support email or or or, or a phone number, whatever you end up having, that that you're responsive when when the developer needs it. So they keep you top of mind and they have a good perception of you. So I, I think that's actually spot on. Uh, and that was uh, very interesting to, to see. One of the things that you don't have there, but I'm excited to see soon, and we were kind of discussing it before the, you know, before we started the, the, the official interview, is mm -hmm. uh, how, uh, you know, how many more developers are we going to have after COVID? Uh, if, if people took that time to actually increase their coding skills or go to boot camps and so on. Because that's one of the things that, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about this um, a little bit later, but... I, you know, the typical, who is a typical developer is evolving. And there's a lot of people coming from, on their second and third career from a bootcamp. 
uh, I mean, they're getting a lot more opportunities and they're bringing, they're enriching the developer community because they also have other experiences from other work that creates better products and better experiences, right? So I'm excited to see how, how that's going to evolve moving forward. Yeah, and hopefully we'll have the data to support that. You know, the, our uh, developer economic survey is actually running now. I think everyone who wants to maybe uh, also take part, you should visit developereconomics.com for uh, if you have a say on this. And uh, I really encourage you to do so, not only because uh, there are some cool gifts we're giving out there, but also because, as you see, the results can lead to uh, great conversations like the, the one we're having. And... Stay tuned that DevRelX trends because I think, and you know, spoiler alert, uh, this you might have an answer to that pretty soon. I'm excited to I'm excited to see you know how the results look. Yeah, that's great. Now until the results are in, let let's pick your brains. Your brains, since we have you here, uh, what do you love most about developer relations? Uh, there's a lot of things that I love about developer relations. One we talked about uh, is enabling others to build. It's been rewarding to see what people end up building with your tools. Uh, and how they combine it with other tools. Also being able to help other people uh, grow, right? I mean, grow as a developer, uh, you know, increase your skill set and, and, and so on and so forth. And also, you know, how people in, people change roles. I mean, one of your other graphs shows about, you know, how people are segmenting uh, the developer audiences. And the reality is that somebody that is a full-time developer at a company could also be a hobbyist at night or in their free time. And you know, they find you on their free time and then they bring you to work, right? And it's been rewarding to see the cool things that people have built either as a student or, or, or as a side project and then it ends up becoming something, uh, you know, that they bring to their job or, or that they start their own company and so on. So it's been very interesting to see our community members uh, growing. Yeah, and it's been great, you know, uh, during this podcast, this question obviously has, you know, come up a lot of times uh, and... For me, you know, if you want, in a way, as a spectator of developer relations, it's, I think it's very important, you know, how its key part is to enable people, you know, to do the things they want. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And, you know, giving them the tools to, uh, to do so. And it's been really great. And now you authored the chapter uh, on our book, Developer Marketing and Relations, The Essential Guide, on our uh, third edition. Yours was one of the you know, great chapters why we needed to have a new edition. What was the topic you discussed there? Well, thank you so much for uh, you know feeding my Argentinian ego there. <laughs> um, um, I, you know, I I I was actually honored and humbled to to be invited to to participate as well. I actually touched on the on on the topic of building an inclusive developer community, and you know we kind of touched that the the role of the developer is evolving and also in in terms of their their decision-making power and influence to choose uh, different tools, but also who is a developer is evolving. It's, uh, you know, it's not only people coming from an undergrad or graduate degree or a PhD in computer science, but we also have people coming from uh, boot camps on their, on their second or third career, and they, bring, they enrich the community in other ways, and, and they bring other work experiences to what they're doing and also come up with different applications to disrupt industries that you know, developers in the past perhaps were not thinking much about. So it's been interesting to, uh, to see that. And also as, as we, we grow as people um, and you know, people start having families or people start retiring, uh, we become part of other demographics. And we start looking at solutions for those demographics. And it's been very rewarding to see, um, you know, I got a chance, I, I you know, this is my, I, I, if I, this is my second role in developer relations. And it's been interesting to see, um, I used to be at TomTom and 
you know, basically uh, getting to see map applications and location technologies being used in different, uh, you know, for different use cases. And now in motion-based behavioral biometrics, basically helping authenticate somebody based on the way they move and walk and all different contextual signals for both authentication, like, you know, opening a door, unlocking a door with a phone in your pocket, not even having to take it out, and unlocking a door of a house or a car as well as you know uh, using the second factor to uh, to authenticate a payment and also as a signal for fraud and you know it's been interesting to see because it's from many different use cases that you may have not have seen before or in in the world that we live now that we you know we had fires in california in 2020 in addition to the pandemic and you know being able you know from uh, you know my previous role in terms of location technologies and using location and data for more efficient emergency response it's been very rewarding to see what people are thinking in terms of uh, different applications of technologies. Yeah, and I think it's this is also one of the best things, you know, but you provide the tools, but then you see people's creativity, you know, jumping in and you have so many different uh, use cases or ideas that they can use your product, you know, in real life examples. And uh, I think, honestly, I think it's kind of amazing. Yeah, and it couldn't have happened honestly if we weren't inclusive in 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 the way that we that we welcome people to the different communities. Um, and you know, in the in in the chapter, I I, I touch upon a couple of different details that that could make your community feel welcome or not to a new developer. Um, let me give you a couple of quick exa- examples just to to portray this because I think it could be helpful for the audience. Um, as I said, like I'm originally from Buenos Aires, Argentina. In Latin America, people have very long names, right? I mean, you have a first name. Middle middle name, first last name, second last name, and sometimes even uh, even more, right? I mean, and that may not even fit in the typical fields that we put for first name and last name to register for an account, for uh, to to get API keys and, and so on, right? So there's some little details that you can change. For example, for first name and last name, you can ask for full name. And then you can do a little parsing in the back end, if you, or you can put first name and then you know ask how you do want to be called for a nickname or something like that, and that would make people feel much more uh, welcome uh, than you know having to go through uh, putting first name or last name. A personal story there, for example, is I can tell you some some of my family members had to get some documentation in in the U.S. and uh, you know there was not enough characters in the field for your driver's <laughs> license, right? And those little things don't make you feel very welcome, right? Yeah, exactly. And um, actually, I remember this example because you also joined us for uh, the Future Developer Summit. We had a panel uh, together how to step up your devil game. And, you know, I was uh, listening to it. And honestly, this I never thought about it. You know, how something uh, that might, you know, seem to us so, you know, basic. Okay, this is your uh, name here. You just put your first name, then you put your last name, and you're done. But... Uh, this is not true for everyone. And I think this is what inclusion has to do, you know, making everything easy to access for everybody, no matter their uh, background. Yeah, uh, well, I'm, I'm glad that you also remember that from the from the event, and I'm glad it was salient enough. Um, and it's not just about making this as a feature, but I, I, what I wanted to do is illustrate a point that, um, you know, this may be a simple thing, but it, it's all about how people perceive what you're doing. It's a gesture to make people feel more welcome. Right. I also learn a lot, and I try to implement some of the the principles that Stack Overflow has implemented in terms of 
and you know not only gamification but in, you know for example making certain signals to make people feel welcome and to be yeah, and to be kind right in terms of for example when somebody's new in a in a community you know having a tag about um, in, you know having some kind of a of an icon that you know they're either new to the community or an early adopter of something and you know for others to welcome them and also be perhaps more 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 tolerant or open to the questions that others may think that they're, they're super simple, but for somebody new, they're not, right? Even even if the question was uh, asked before or a similar question was asked before, um, the idea is to to bring people into the fold and to grow, right? Not to not to expel. So uh, we, we need to we need to welcome others. And the best way to do that is, you know, in, in a way educating them through the community. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I agree 100% there. By the way, the Developer Marketing and Relations, the Essential Guide book, uh, has recently published the third edition, uh, thanks to great people like uh, Leandro. And uh, anyone interested, uh, you can find it on paperback or Kindle editions at uh, Amazon or an EPUB version at devrelex.com. So we, you kind of mentioned it, but I want us to go a bit deeper. So how integral is community? To developer relations, well, it's definitely integral, um, and you know it, it has a it has a lot of benefits for uh, the community and and for uh, the company as well. But it, it's also delicate, right? I mean, the reality is uh, there are people using your products, or you hope that there you have people using the, using your products. So there's different stages in the community development as well, right? I mean, some people just want to start and build their community from scratch on their you know their blog, their forum, their developer portal. Sometimes when you're starting, that may not be uh, the best, but you know there's probably different active communities already that could benefit from what you're building or doing. Um, so my suggestion is always to to first start looking where the where the people that uh, could use your stuff are being active and hanging out and and being active there, and then there will be topics that are relevant at a certain level there. And then there may be other things that they need to, uh, you know, you may need to enable in other ways. One of the biggest learnings for me, and, and this was a learning from uh, from TomTom, right? I mean, there were a lot of people talking about TomTom Maps APIs, for example, on Stack Overflow, and there were certain questions coming there. And, but then we were getting a lot of emails uh, on support about other topics, more about people already integrating and, you know, getting stuck somewhere and so on. Those were great in terms of for us to actually learn and, and make some improvements in the documentation as well as the product. but once we actually, at that point, we had critical mass of people using it, and then we we launched the forum, and it was kind of magical to see the activity from the first day in the forum, basically unlocking the value in terms of people that were stuck in a certain place, that they were not the only ones, and they were helping each other uh, when another developer got stuck in a similar place. And just unlocking that was, it was kind of magical. It's like you, you unlocked a way of communication that was not there before, and it helped uh, elevate uh, our credibility, elevate uh, the, the developer's credibility, you know, creating great content to help others to, to, to use the technology and also to keep us top of mind and honestly also reduce the, the, the customer support cost as well. Yes, yes, that's definitely true. And uh, I really love how you, you mentioned it. This is actually a thing we've, we had mentioned in our uh, you know, first ever episode uh, of the podcast where we had uh, Mary Thangval and uh, it was along with our CEO, Andreas Costantinou, um, where they talked that you know, as long as you have something that uh, you're offering to developers, there is a community somewhere. Uh, you just need to find where they are and you know, see what they need and uh, then work on catering to their needs. 
I really love this because your example, I think, shows exactly that. Thank you. No, I'm glad. Uh, I, I'm glad to hear the. It, it, it's also a good sanity check, and it, and it shows really. And, and and in a way, this is a a little bit meta, but very appropriate, right? I mean, uh, it is the community of the community, which is and it's great. Yeah. And we need to build our own community because the basically the, the the industry of developer marketing and relations it's relatively nascent and it's evolving, and it's really mm-hmm. nice to be part of this community that we can share notes as well uh, and make sure that we are we're providing what the developer communities need. Exactly, exactly. And uh, honestly, this is one of the things we're trying to do with the podcast too. So um, I'm very happy you, you mentioned that. Now, you said it before, you just uh, mentioned it actually. Uh, when you're building your own community, what should your strategic priorities be? I, I would start to like, do, do you really need your own community right now? I don't know how many people, like, I mean, it depends on how many people are using your product. And, you know, in what stage your product is and in which stage the, the, the people using your product are, right? I mean, so perhaps there is a community out there already that you need to be part of or more than one that you need to be part of before you start your own community. I know that everybody just sometimes wants to, like, start their own and build their own. I don't know that that is for everybody, honestly. And depending on what products you build, if they're only a piece of a puzzle, you may want to be part of another community as well, and uh, where others are, and then you know, in a way you can build the community together with others. And I, I've seen that working uh, very well as well. Um, so, I, I mean, one of the criteria is, um, uh, it's, uh, do you have critical mass? I mean, that, that, that's one of them. Also, are, are people active? Uh, in your topic of preference and and on your interest somewhere else what are these uh, who are these people where who are these developers where uh, you know what are they reading where do they hang out is it is it is it a reddit a subreddit is it quora is it stack overflow is it code project is it somewhere else i don't know those are the kind of places that 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 i would look and 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 basically see where you need to find your people right Uh, see where your people are and then um, understand what kind of topics are being discussed regarding regarding what you have in the different places and see if there's a gap for you for it to make sense for you to build something on your own if there is a gap that there usually is in in my experience with TomTom the gap was people already using your product getting stuck in different places and being able to help them in addition to getting more direct feedback so we can build a better product but you had to have critical mass of people integrating and getting stuck in certain places to get to get to that for it to be worth it to open a forum, right? So the first step as always would be just build the portal and have good documentation and then take it from there in terms of the the, the different kind of the different kind of communication that, that you need to build. And let me let me go a little bit deeper into that if if that's okay in terms of the yes, type of communication. Yes. <laughs> um, there's different types of communication. Basically one is one to one to many, one to one and many to many. And in different stages of, of your development of your community, you may have different ones. I would say that the, your developer portal with the documentation is kind of a one-to-many. It's a broadcasting mechanism, right? I mean, people can consume that, but in a way, they have very little interaction. Yes, there may be a contact us or a support or something like that, but uh, that's about it. Then um, once you have critical mass, you may want to uh, you, you enable more one, uh, you know, many-to-many and one-to-one communications through a forum and messaging, right? Or you know, even something like a Slack community. I mean, but but those are like kind of at different stages when you hit certain uh, critical mass numbers. Uh, the one thing I want to say there, though, and I, I, different people have different views on this. A lot of people want to enable a, a Slack community, a Slack community for their uh, for their audience, 
I'm not so keen on that at the moment because I feel like the content is being locked in a Slack versus, for example, a forum that then other people can access and you know being more inclusive and giving access access to your to your content, which also helps from an SEO perspective from a uh, from a portal and you can actually you know use the data for FAQs and so on, uh, but also set certain expectations that sometimes are unrealistic in terms of how quickly you can answer to a Slack message versus a forum, and that could also have some damage in, in, th- damage to your brand in terms of perception if you cannot answer with the agility that the developer is expecting from a Slack message. Yes, that's true. And uh, yeah, I remember the breakdown of different types of communication from your uh, book chapter. So thank you for bringing it up because um, you know it's one of the things that really, really stood out to me. We've said that obviously, actually, inclusivity is key. We mentioned it a bit uh, earlier. We've talked about it in past episode too. So with that in mind, what are some things you can do to make your community more inclusive? You know, as we have people besides, you know, uh, socioeconomic backgrounds, geographical backgrounds, uh, as you said it before, it's, you know, people who have evolved into different roles and you know, are now developers. So how can you make an, a community, the community that you're building actually, inclusive? Well, you need to make people. I mean, we we kind of touched on a couple of these things, right? I mean, but in in a way to uh, to highlight them, you know, you need to make people feel welcome, um, and there's different ways that you can do that. From having a smooth onboarding experience uh, where people feel like they they understand where they're coming from uh, in the way you they, they they put their first name and last name or a full name and a nickname, to the way you welcome them into the community and the way the, the different community members welcome them. And that could be done with different badges, for example, or icons, and, and 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 the way people ask questions and the way people answer to those questions and the reactions to those questions. And you can have proper guidelines. You can uh, you can uh, you you can enforce the guidelines in a way with nudges instead of policing, and that usually works. And you know, helping people report uh, if they if, if they or, or or react if they see something that they believe is not kind. Uh, I've seen that work very well. Learning from uh, the learnings from Stack Overflow, for example, um, and also the documentation that you build. Like, you know, one of the things that um, uh, that, that could help is if you can actually, uh, even even though some of the uh, programming languages, in a way, they're they're some kind of pseudocode of English. Having the documentation, you know, easily translatable to different languages, and even having a, a translation API embedded in the developer portal could actually help with that. Um, there's different ways that you can localize the content as well in terms of the examples that you use, in terms of the, 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 the you know how you showcase the information. There's a little bit about that in terms of uh, you know when, when I was at, at TomTom in terms of how you show location data, uh, in terms of you know showing it in even even the name of a city or the name of a place in, in which language or which alphabet you use to showcase or even having the options to showcase it in different ones. Those are little things that you can do, but the, the, the main guideline there is make people feel welcome no matter where they're coming from, feeling understood and, and, and welcome and that they can ask the questions that they need to ask. And I think it's also very important, you know, because the essence of community is actually people working together. You know, each has obviously his own goals for doing this, but they're all working together to create, you know, something and um, help each other create. So... Yeah, I really like the, you know, even the smallest things you you mentioned, for example, localization can make a huge difference for someone, you know, who might not be uh, so proficient in English, for example, which uh, more or less, I think it's it's the main uh, the main language, you know, where documentation or support is listed at. 
Yeah. I mean, and I understand that, you know, if somebody's starting a, a community, like you cannot do everything at the beginning, but, you know, just mm-hmm. keep, keep these, these principles in mind to make sure that as you, that as you grow, uh, you, you can, you can welcome more and more people and make those people feel welcome. Yeah, I think I think this is very key here. Also, in the in your chapter uh, on the book, you say at some point meet your developers where they are. How can you do that? Well, I, I think a little bit. Uh, that was a little bit what I was um, what I was alluding to, and it can have like you you can interpret that in, in a couple of different ways. In terms of meeting your developers where they are, uh, one thing is where do what do they read? Uh, which publications do they read? Where do they hang out? Uh, if it's a specific meetup, meetup or specific uh, uh, thread, and they're part of specific conversations, uh, you know, go and meet them there. Be active in those places. The other one is meet them where they are in terms of their their their, their level of skill and what they're looking right. In, in terms of you know, you you may have developers that are beginners, or you may have developers that are experts, and uh, they both they may have different needs, but they also may be able to help each other out. So. You know, make sure that you that, that you welcome different levels of questions uh, in your community, uh, and you also uh, you know don't alienate people if 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 they're just starting because those will be the experts of the future, and you you want them within the fold, right? So meet your developers where they are in terms of where do they are, uh, you know, w- w- where do they hang out, what kind of publications they read, and also uh, their level of expertise. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And uh, you know, developer meeting developers at different levels. You know, it's also key because if you want to empower every developer, and I think that's the actual goal, as you said, that you need to be able to cater to the, you know, easiest, let's say, answer. You know, the basic stuff, but also, you know, the more advanced of people, even taking the the product, you know, few steps further. Yeah, and some of the ways that I, that, that I mean. Um, I've done that and, and we've done that in the different developer relations teams that I've been part of is, you know, being very cognizant of the kind of uh, sample code and examples that we use uh, to, to show applications and even open source an application and, you know, put some code on GitHub that people can play with. And, you know, instead of starting from scratch, uh, having a code that you can start from and then modify to understand how the different uh, technologies work, what are the inputs, what are the outputs, what can you expect when? Uh, you know, seed it with some seed data to play with, and and so on and so forth. And uh, another point here, you know, when when we talk about inclusivity, I think we also need to take to take into account, you know, the diversity of different people that are part of this community. So, if we take, you know, a, a step back and uh, look at it from a developer marketing, you know, perspective, mm-hmm. how do you think is the best way to segment your developer audience? Well, there's, uh, there's different ways to uh, to segment them, but uh, what has worked well for me uh, in the past uh, has been in terms of not 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 demographic, just because as we said, there may be people uh, of different ages and with different kind of experiences, even from other industries that are uh, just becoming developers. But it has been more about their uh, the developer in context, right? I mean, a developer could be somebody uh, working in a big enterprise. It could be also somebody being um, from a software engineer to a CTO of a startup to somebody uh, to a, a, a hobbyist. And a hobbyist could be uh, either um, a student, let's say, building a project or uh, one of the other two developers at night. Right? So for me, it's been about stages of engagement and um, you know, making sure and, and each one brings a different value to your to your community and to, to your technology goals, right? I mean, and uh, I would love to be able to cater to the hobbyist first 
because they they actually become the most active and engaged with your technology and in a way they become your ambassador and if you start top of mind with if you stay top of mind with them they will take you along for the ride anywhere they go when they build their own company or when they go and work at another company um, and uh, that has worked very well uh, for me it's a long term investment um, and you need to make sure that you're able to to do so uh, but i think that has been uh, that has been helpful a, a good way for me to look at it yeah, yeah, that's great. Do you also maybe want to talk about, you know, what are the benefits for the community and the company, you know, of a more diverse community, you know, after you make make it more inclusive to more people, what are the benefits of diversity, actually? Happy to happy to touch on that. Um, so in terms of the, the, the benefit of diversity, and uh, we kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier in the conversation. Um, for me, what has been very rewarding is uh, the a more diverse group of people comes up with different ideas and for me what has been rewarding and refreshing is to see when you open your community to a more diverse group of people they come up with very different ideas on how to use your product because of the needs that they have uh, right uh, as i was telling you for example in terms of location technology uh, different applications for uh, emergency response and you know enabling certain kind of transactions within a certain geofence uh, and so on. And now in terms of motion-based behavioral biometrics, you know, uh, how to enable different kind of authentications based on the way you, you move and walk from opening doors and locking doors to, to actually enabling certain transactions to happen uh, with an frictionless authentication in the background. And uh, also in, you know, detecting suspicious activity and fraud based on some movements that you don't usually see. So, it has been amazing to see uh, to, to see that, and also, for example, different kind of uh, different kind of uh, geographic uh, places in terms of geographical diversity have different threats. No, in terms of cybersecurity, so you know, uh, it was very interesting to see, for example, some uh, gig economy uh, companies now during the pandemic. You know, uh, that that have evolved not only from doing ride sharing and ride hailing, but doing more uh, goods delivery, uh, and you know helping them verify that the, the driver that registered is the right driver, you know, fulfilling a service uh, or the service provider, you know, verifying that service provider and also, you know, making sure that the, that the recipient of that service is the right person. Uh, so uh, those are kind of the use cases that I've seen all around the world uh, evolving also uh, with the pandemic at hand and, uh, and being able to make a difference there. Yeah, and I think it's, you know, pretty clear. And uh, I really hope that the people listening to this will also agree with me, you know, the more uh, inclusive your community is, you know, the more uh, your doors, you know, in quotes, of course, the word doors are open to more people to join and, you know, feel welcome, uh, you will attract a bigger number. And, you know, out of this bigger number, you get a bigger diversity of people, not only people, but uh, also ideas. And then, uh, as you said it, and uh, you just said it, and we also mentioned it uh, earlier in in this interview you know people using your uh, product to create things that you may not have even imagined you know mm -hmm. while you were burning it and of course this is something that benefits everyone you know from the uh, developer joining the community uh, that allows him you know allow them access to uh, questions or they're stuck somewhere and they get uh, some questions all the way uh, through your company uh, to helping society, uh, you know, create new things, reach new goals. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. 
And that reminds me also. I mean, one of the one, one of the trends that you were well, one of the the graphs on your on, on your trends uh, link talks about you know uh, the percentage of people that are involved in open source or open sourcing some things. And uh, I, I think it's it's been amazing to see uh, the open source community grow. And it's not that you have to open source everything, but if you if you put some code out there that helps people uh, understand and use your technology, and they can actually combine that with other things. You you know that also helps with diversity and inclusion. You know diversity, uh, as you very well said, uh, diversity of ideas, diversity of applications, diversity of use cases. Exactly, and uh, you know open source is always a favorite topic to discuss, both on the in the podcast, but uh, also us and within you know the company we we talk about it a lot. And the previous Future Developer Summit, you know, was devoted in part to open source and uh, and DevOps, and uh, yeah. Open source, you know, sometimes equals accessibility, which, you know, again, uh, allows a huge amount of people, you know, do something and create something. And many technologies, you know, that are standard, let's say now, have evolved so from open source project. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, discussing, you know, all these different things and even different use cases, we, we've seen that, um, you know, things evolve and uh, this is the, the natural thing to do. So what do you see in the future of developer relations? How do you see developer relations evolving? I mean, uh, there, there's different ways that this could go, but what I, what I can tell you is uh, who is a developer is evolving. The, the, the role of the developer is evolving and having more, uh, more, power and influence to choose what technologies are being used within a, a company and different solutions. And so I, I see the, the role of the developer becoming more and more relevant. Uh, I see the developer community growing. I see um, a lot more people learning how to code and a lot more people learning how to build stuff, uh, which I think is all good for a, a growing industry of developer marketing and relations. And I I do think that we are going to see... not I. I don't believe that everybody will need to build their own community, but I do believe that we're gonna st- we're gonna see some some communities that are for everybody with you know with uh, different uh, themes and sub themes, and we will uh, uh, that will actually foster collaboration and and it's very interesting. So if I take a step back, what I see uh, in terms of it's very interesting. Right? I mean, uh, if you look at programming languages, like, I mean, we started with assembly language. Uh, and then we we move up we we move up and and different levels of abstractions uh, to have some kind of a pseudo code now that it looks kind of like English with inputs and outputs right, and what I feel is that in, you know now we see companies evolving to provide APIs and SDKs and in a way the APIs and SDKs are the new functions and libraries that you would have within an operating system before it's like another level of of abstraction uh, to provide an operating system for life. And hence, the role of the developer will become more and more relevant to put all these APIs and SDKs together uh, to build something meaningful that makes a difference in people's lives. I'm looking forward to that, actually. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, everything evolving like that. And, uh, you know, the the future of developer relations, obviously, you know, it's key uh, to seeing how things are going to look like in a few years from now. And also this, uh, spoiler alert again, this will be the theme uh, of our future developer summit, uh, which... We will announce very soon. So if you want to learn more about it, uh, stay tuned at futuredeveloper.io. There's also going to be uh, a community edition there, which will be free to access. Leandro, if someone wants to hear more from you, since I really enjoyed our talk, I think there might be quite a lot of people. How can they reach you? 
Oh, they can reach me. You know, they can find me on Twitter. Uh, my Twitter handle is basically at leanmarg, L-E-A-N-M-A-R-G, the first four letters of my first name and last name, and also uh, Leandro Margulis on LinkedIn. That's great. And uh, now uh, I want, it's been great having you. First of all, uh, I'm very glad you could join us. And um, I really liked our talk and I hope our listeners would do so. To close, you know, on a, on a nice note, what was one good thing that happened in 2020? I, I'm actually blessed that I, I actually started my new role at Unify ID uh, in, in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic. So uh, there's a lot of opportunities out there and uh, you know, getting a chance to work with a great group of people even though I've been only to the office twice, <laughs> you know, it's amazing to, uh, you know, how Google Meet and Slack has carried us through the whole year and, and being able to build mini meaningful relationships that way, which is not something I would have expected before. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's definitely true, same here. <laughs> so everyone, thank you for listening to Under the Hood of Developer Marketing, the podcast devoted to developer marketing and relations. You can listen to all episodes, find free resources and the latest news at devrelex.com and you can subscribe to our bite-sized bi-weekly digest or follow us on Twitter at slashdatahq for regular updates. Leandro, it's been great having you. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you so much for the invite. <laughs>